Section 3 of The Major Symptoms of Hysteria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Major Symptoms of Hysteria by Pierre Janet. Lecture 3 Fugues and Polyidaic Somnambulisms. Transformations and Exaggerations of the First Somnambulisms. Several Cases of Fugues. The Laws of Fugues. The Diagnosis of Hysterical Fugues differences between fugues and monoidaic somnambulisms the characters of polyidaic somnambulisms and their relations to the simpler forms the emancipation of feelings and emotions a great many hysteric accidents are directly connected with the kind of somnambulism we have just studied they are only slight transformations of the same phenomenon sometimes somnambulism increases develops in a particular direction sometimes it diminishes keeps back only a few symptoms and it is sometimes difficult to know it again but the phenomena are still of the same kind they must be explained in the same manner and if we wish to understand hysteria well it is very important we should know the possible transformations of that fundamental state of somnambulism today and in our next lecture we shall study the exaggerations and developments that multiply to a very high degree our first monoidaic somnambulism the first fact we meet with in this direction is one of the most wonderful phenomena of hysteria the study of which has already attracted many authors this fact is the hysterical mania of running away that we call ambulatory automatism flights or better fugues if we may keep the french word one we shall begin as we are wont to by showing you a certain number of clinical cases as if the patients were here before your eyes we shall thus more easily acquire the knowledge of the clinical characters and of the general idea that is to be derived from them here is a splendid case of hysterical fugue remarkable for its simplicity you can find the entire description of it in the gazette des hôpitaux where i published it with professor raymond on the second of july eighteen ninety five the subject is a man p thirty years old employed in a railway station in a town in the east of france although an active and clever fellow he was a little eccentric and had already led a somewhat adventurous life in his youth he had had frequent fits of somnambulism sometimes in the day but mostly at night moreover the tendency to somnambulisms is to be found in his family since his brother was also a nocturnal somnambulist who got out of his bed while asleep to work at his exercises one day like a patient we have spoken of he carried his pillow on the housetop mistaking it for a little baby if i dwell upon these previous somnambulisms similar to those we have already described it is because they form a link between the first phenomena we have spoken of and those we shall describe to-day this man p was also very easily affected predisposed to fixed ideas one day in the notary's office where he worked he was slightly suspected though not accused of stealing a trifle he fell ill and was very distressed night and day he discussed that suspicion and although everybody tried to prove to him how trifling it was he could not remain in that office moreover he had a tendency to exaggerated fears he had left lorraine after its annexation to germany and during many years he was haunted by the fear of the german police whom he always believed to be running after him all those details have their importance you must not forget thus to inquire into the previous character of your patients such an inquiry will often enable you to understand very well the neuropathic diseases that come on later however that may be the man we are talking of had also an adventurous turn of mind he started with the crevaux mission on an expedition to south africa and was sent back to france on account of his health then he enlisted under the orders of de Bratza, who was starting for gabon 
there we must also notice he was very much debilitated by diseases peculiar to hot climates and continued long after his return to have fits of the ague this also is serious enough to prepare the way for the ensuing mental weakness on his return to france at the age of twenty he got a situation in a railway company and was soon in easy circumstances he married and had a child he dearly loved his wife was again pregnant when the following incident took place although he led a quiet and rather happy life he was uneasy in his mind and gave himself up to intellectual labours too hard for a man who had no great acquirements to his work in the railway office he added bookkeeping and what is more he drew up a geographical account of gabon from the notes he had taken and this work gave him much trouble he was made uneasy in his mind by family quarrels his brother who was jealous of him had just quarrelled with him and had charged him with shameful and dishonest acts the charge was groundless and nobody around him troubled about it but we know how easily upset how susceptible he was in that quarter and how he lost his head at the mere idea of a charge of that kind it is in these conditions that we come to the third of february eighteen ninety five he was alone at nancy his wife having left him for a few days he had just ended a chapter of his work on gabon and to take a little rest he went to a coffee-house where he was well known during the afternoon a part of which he spent with some friends at this coffee-house in playing billiards he drank a cup of coffee two glasses of beer and a small glass of vermouth which the coffee-house keeper wished him to taste he told us himself all these circumstances which he remembers quite well he also knows that one of his neighbours came to the coffee-house and invited him to dinner as he was alone at home he accepted the invitation so everything was as it should be and he has a very exact memory of all that happened then he left that coffee-house about five ready to go and dine with his friend but a few yards off while crossing the stanislas bridge over the railway line just as he got to the middle that also he perfectly remembers he felt a violent pain in his head as if he had been struck on the posterior part of his head i point out these sensations to you without being able to dwell on them for they have not as yet been sufficiently accounted for but it is necessary you should know they often occur in the same conditions with neuropathic patients the blow in the occiput is very often characteristic of great fits of great changes of personality it is just what happened in this case for immediately after that something must have changed in the mental state of our patient as he has entirely lost the memory of all that happened afterwards on that sunday the third of february eighteen ninety five and on the following days when he comes back to consciousness or rather when he resumes the thread of his recollections the circumstances are changed to an extravagant degree his first recollection is the following he was lying in a field covered with snow half dead and amazed to find himself in that place he got up painfully found a road with a tramway line walked along that line and finally got not without difficulty to a town quite unknown to him near a railway station it was the south station at brussels it was eleven o'clock in the evening and the date he read in a newspaper was the twelfth of february in short he had felt a shock on the head at nancy on the third of february and awoke in the neighbourhood of brussels on the twelfth all that had happened in the meantime how he accomplished that singular journey he does not in the least know he telegraphed to ask for assistance he was taken care of and conveyed to paris to the salpetriere where we studied his case i will not now explain to you how we revived his recollections it would imply notions on hysteria that you have not yet acquired i shall only tell you that we contrived to know what happened during those nine days and that we may now add it to the story of his fugue on the stanislas bridge 
after he had felt the blow on the head he felt himself overwhelmed with fear at the thought of the charge brought against him by his brother so that he went home in great anxiety a few slight occurrences too long to tell increased the feeling of guilt and in the evening which he spent in wandering about the streets without going to his neighbours for dinner he constantly pondered on the way to escape those accusations and on the means of running away he returned home where he took some money and went to sleep in an hotel in the suburbs instead of remaining quietly at home he rose early and avoiding the railway went on foot through the fields to champigneul when he had arrived there he went to the railway station where he was not known and took a ticket for pagny on the moselle from pagny he walked to longwy still avoiding with the greatest care the persons who he fancied were running after him and in fact he did avoid them very well for his disappearance had been noticed and he was sought after with great anxiety at Longwy he took the train to luxembourg and then to arlon and to brussels still with the rooted idea of taking refuge in a foreign country under a false name in order to escape pursuit at brussels he first went to a good hotel and spent his days in seeking the means of earning a few pence but he did not succeed and his small means dwindled away he took lodgings in a very shabby room then in one of those asylums where poor people are lodged at night there a good man had pity on him and gave him a letter of introduction to a charitable foundation that letter played afterwards an important part for he found it again in his pocket after waking up and it enabled him at the time of his recovery to retrace the former events and to recollect what had happened but on the day it was given to him he did not use it so that he fell into the most terrible poverty he was on the point of enlisting for the dutch indies but happily he was not accepted fancy that unhappy man in the midst of a crisis of somnambulism sailing for india exhausted with fatigue and want of food he stretched himself on the snow in the fields with the vague idea that he was about to die here something very extraordinary happened something very interesting as a psychological fact as he thought he was at the point of death he could not help changing the bent of his thoughts and in spite of himself he thought that he would like to see his family before he died stretched out in the snow you must notice that the thought of his family had never entered his mind during the last days the appearance of this idea had an unexpected result he immediately said to himself but after all why am i dying here far from my family he got up he was awake you know what happened afterwards i want only to point out to you that enormous change in the mental state brought about by an idea the fact is so interesting that we must observe it a second time in another case i have studied it is also a very strange one i will only sum up the more important facts if you care to read this entertaining observation you will find it at full length in the second volume of my work on neuroses and fixed ideas here i shall only state the facts that are interesting for us today the subject is a boy of seventeen Uru, son of a neuropathic mother rather nervous himself who already had when he was ten years old ticks and contractures in the neck of which we shall speak in one of our following lectures at thirteen he often went to a small public-house visited by old sailors they would urge him to drink and when he was somewhat flustered they would fill his imagination with beautiful tales in which deserts palm-trees lions camels and negroes were pictured in a most wonderful and alluring way the young boy was very much struck by those pictures particularly as he was half tipsy however when his drunkenness was over the story seemed to be quite forgotten he never spoke of travels and on the contrary led a very sedentary life for he had chosen the placid occupation of a grocer's boy and he only sought to rise in that honourable career 
now there come on quite unforeseen accidents almost always on the occasion of some fatigue or a fit of drunkenness he then felt transformed forgot to return home and thought no more of his family he would leave paris walking straight ahead and go to a more or less great distance through the forest of saint germain or as far as the department of the orne sometimes he walked alone at other times he rambled with some tramps begging along the roads he had but one idea left in his head namely to get to the sea enlist in a ship and sail away towards those enchanting countries of africa his journeys ended rather badly he would awake suddenly drenched half starving either on the high road or in an asylum without ever being able to understand what had happened without any memory of his journey and with the most ardent wish to go back to his family and his grocery i will dwell on only one of his fugues which is particularly amusing and was of extraordinary duration for it lasted three months he had left paris about the fifteenth of may and had walked to the neighbourhood of melun this time he was thinking about the means of succeeding in his scheme and of getting safely to the mediterranean until then he had failed owing to fatigue and misery the question was to find means of living as he went along a bright idea had occurred to him not far from melun at moret there are canals that go more or less straight to the south of france and in those canals there are ships laden with goods he succeeded in being accepted as a servant on a ship laden with coal his work was terrible now he had to shovel the coal now to haul the rope in company with a donkey called cadet his only friend he was badly fed often beaten exhausted with fatigue but though you would scarcely believe it he was radiant with happiness he thought only of one thing of the joy of drawing nearer to the sea unhappily in auvergne the boat stopped and he was forced to leave it and continue his journey on foot which was more difficult in order not to be resourceless he hired himself as a helper to an old china mender they went slowly along working on the road then one evening an unlooked-for event took place again the day's work had been a success the two companions had earned seven francs the old china mender stopped and said to our my boy we deserve a good supper and we will keep today's feast it is the fifteenth of august on hearing this the boy heedlessly said the fifteenth of august why it is the feast of the virgin mary the anniversary of my mother's name-day he had scarcely uttered these words when he appeared to be quite changed he looked all around him with astonishment and turning to his companion said but who are you and what am i doing here with you the poor man was amazed and was quite unable to make the boy understand the situation the latter still believed himself in paris and had lost all memory of the preceding months they had to go to the village mayor's where with great difficulty the matter was made more or less clear the mayor telegraphed to paris and the prodigal child was sent back home is not that name which suddenly evoked the memory of his mother and awakened him likewise a pretty conclusion of a fugue the same particular is to be found in this final observation which i will relate in a few words a young man of twenty-nine a clerk at a notary's office had made a fugue of the same kind as the preceding ones and impelled by a fixed idea had gone as far as algeria he found himself at oran sitting on the terrace of a coffee-house quietly reading his newspaper when his eyes fell on a singular piece of news the newspaper related the story of the sudden disappearance of a young notary's clerk aged twenty-nine of such a name and wondered what had become of him why thought the young man quite amazed i am that young man what can have happened and he awoke without remembering his freak in the least you see that the three observations are very much alike 
it was formerly thought that such cases were very rare and that they each had particular characters in reality it is not so and we could easily collect twenty very typical instances quite similar to the three we have just described and in which you would easily recognize the same features two let us then try and find the characteristic feature of the observations we know you have noticed yourselves while listening to me how obvious the analogy is between the phenomena called hysterical fugues and the monoidaic somnambulisms we lately studied in a general way the essential characters are the same and we could without difficulty apply to the former the four laws we applied to the latter first during the abnormal state there is a certain idea a certain system of thoughts that develops to an exaggerated degree it is evident that p for instance constantly thinks during the eight days his fugue lasts of the charge brought against him by his brother of the consequences it may have for him and of the means of eluding capture it is obvious that the young r ponders during three months over the means of getting to the mediterranean and the hope of finding a ship there and sailing for africa such thoughts are disproportionate to the situation of a railway officer the father of a family and to that of a grocer's boy they bring about certain acts they add to the endurance of those people who travel on foot work and bear hardships without difficulty the second law applies equally well during the abnormal state the other thoughts relating to the former life the family the social position the personality appear to be suppressed it is very likely that during their fugues those people assume false names and create for themselves fictitious personalities you will find with regard to this last detail an interesting observation in the paper of mr h Coriat of boston published in the third number of the journal of abnormal psychology 1906 page 109 the important point is that these people have lost the memory of their real personality this seems strongly confirmed by the phenomenon of the awakening when some chance occurrence brings back to their mind a thought about their family their real name their former self they fall into another system of ideas and wake up this proves conclusively that during the abnormal state chance had not roused that category of recollections outside of the time of the fit or of the abnormal state and during the period considered as normal you already guess it is not entirely so the two inverse laws apply the recollections of the fugue have vanished and that to an extraordinary extent but at the same time the thoughts and feelings connected with an idea that predominated during the fugue have disappeared more or less completely i have already pointed out to you that young r was a model grocer's boy taking much interest in the sugar and coffee trade dreaming only of the pleasure of going on sundays with his mother to the saint cloud fair and having none of the tastes of an adventurous sailor he does not continually feel this longing for travels and even grieves very much when you speak to him about his fugues he is afraid they may begin again since he comes of himself to the hospital in order to get advice and be rid of them i insist on that point if the boy really had all the time a taste for travels beyond the seas a taste which after all he might have he would not feel troubled about his fugues he would resign himself in the idea that if they were successful they might prove profitable to him but he is far from doing so for during his normal life his feelings are not the same as during the period of his fugue you may observe the same fact in the railway clerk p when he is awake he does not speak at all in the same way of the charge his brother brought against him not only does he realize perfectly that there is no truth in it but he also feels that it is of no importance he feels it is not worth while to upset his home and spoil his situation 
there is obviously something in this that recalls the amnesia of her mother's death we have noticed in irene and the disappearance of her feelings of filial love lastly during the state considered as normal you find the development of the psychological phenomena that were suppressed during the period of the crisis recollection of the entire existence perception of all present occurrences exact notion of personality in short you see that the four characteristic laws of somnambulisms apply to such cases if to this you add that these fugues present themselves in individuals who have already had as i told you in the case of p fits of somnambulism or if you remark that such individuals are apt to present somnambulic states later on as happened with roux it seems still more justifiable to bring the two phenomena together and say that upon the whole fugues are kinds of hysteric somnambulisms we must insist a little while upon this summary and this diagnosis in my opinion these fugues must be ranked among hysterical somnambulisms for two reasons first because they represent to us all the major characteristics already known of hysterical somnambulism in the next lecture you will learn a new characteristic of this somnambulism that it may be artificially reproduced and that in this artificially induced somnambulism the memory of the first abnormal stage of the fit of natural somnambulism reappears entirely this new characteristic which we shall study a little later and which i simply allude to can be still found exactly in the fugues we are now examining long after the awakening of his last fugue when he seems to have no remembrance at all of what happened the young roux can be put into artificial somnambulism and can then relate to us with amusing preciseness all his adventures in the ship laden with coal and his friendship with the donkey cadet hauling the rope with him when all these characteristics and especially the last one are to be found in a fugue it seems to me difficult to class this phenomenon apart from hysterical somnambulism without complicating and confusing all the psychological classifications it is only when the phenomenon which seems to you similar to a fugue presents other characteristics which must be studied that you can frame for it another classification the second reason we must insist upon is that fugues of this kind exactly characterized usually appear in the life of some subjects who have already or who will have later on other phenomena connected with the accidents we know as hysterical ones in one word this kind of fugues appears usually in hysterical people this last point has called forth a number of interesting debates you must read for these discussions a paper by dr j m courtney of boston in the journal of abnormal psychology in august 1906 page 123 this author quotes a number of fugues which seem to have appeared in subjects who were formerly affected by epileptic fits in a word in epileptic subjects you must discuss with great care the observations you must examine whether these fugues have exactly the same character as the preceding ones it is necessary too to determine exactly the diagnosis of the fits which preceded the fugues the diagnosis of epilepsy as for me i cannot help saying that i often doubt these diagnoses that i am not sure of the diagnosis of epilepsy in all the cases adduced by dr courtney in his interesting paper but in the end if you find a genuine case of fugue with all the preceding characteristics in a subject who is on the other hand an epileptic what do you conclude the neuroses are not definite entities which exclude one another they are only certain classifications of facts in my opinion you must only conclude that this subject usually severely ill usually falling into serious epileptic fits has once had a less severe attack which is connected with hysterical rather than with epileptical phenomena this is rather frequent and is not inconsistent with the important comparison we made just now of the phenomena of a fugue and those of hysterical somnambulism 
however we must not delude ourselves we must recognize differences first during the abnormal state the idea that develops has certainly not the same power as during monoideic somnambulism true it directs the conduct but it does not bring on the hallucinations and deliriums that it produced in the preceding case when irene had the idea of committing suicide and of getting herself crushed by a locomotive she had not patience enough to go to the railway track and compass a real suicide she immediately had the hallucination of the railway track and without more ado lay down on the floor of the room remember that difference there is no real hallucination in the fugue the development of the idea is less intense secondly the idea is not absolutely isolated as in somnambulism this is the most characteristic fact our great somnambulists you remember do not see or hear anything but what concerns the idea rooted in their mind and it could not be otherwise for if irene saw the beds in the room if she heard my voice she would not believe herself alone on a railway track on the contrary the patients who make fugues need a great many perceptions and recollections to enable them to travel without any mishaps what is most wonderful in fugues chartreux said is that these individuals contrive not to be stopped by the police at the very beginning of their journey in fact they are mad people in full delirium nevertheless they take railway tickets they dine and sleep in hotels they speak to a great number of people we are it is true sometimes told that they were thought a little odd that they looked preoccupied and dreamy but after all they are not recognized as mad people whereas irene could not take two steps in the street when she was dreaming of her mother's death without being immediately taken to the asylum so you see that the range of consciousness is not at all the same that the mind is not distinctly reduced to a single idea we can make the same remark concerning the state called normal the oblivion of the fugue is total but the oblivion of the directive idea and of the feeling connected with it is by far less distinct and the restoration of the normal self is much more complete in short the difference could i believe be explained in the following remark a fugue lasts much longer than a monoideic somnambulism while the latter lasts a few hours at most the former lasts for months together it is necessary for a fugue to be able to last so long that the state should approach the normal state and that the character of somnambulism should be attenuated three in order to understand that degradation that transformation of monoideic somnambulism into the hysterical fugue we must study states of mind which are in some manner intermediate and they will prepare us to understand the transformations of typical somnambulism i mean polyideic somnambulisms which are opposed to the first as their name shows by the multiplicity of the ideas that fill them one instance will be enough to make you understand how somnambulism can pass from one idea to several here is an hysterical woman lege who has led a very eventful life and has had several very dramatic adventures capable of upsetting her mind and filling her head with those fixed ideas that lead to somnambulisms one day at the period of her menstrual discharge she had searched her lover's desk and found a letter that confirmed her suspicions showing her that he had deceived her she fell into a great passion her menstrual discharge was stopped of course and she had a crisis of delirium in the form of monoideic somnambulism during which she acted the scene over again another day as she was taking a walk with her lover she had been surprised by a violent storm and frightened by a very loud thunderclap her lover it appears had not proved courageous and had not been equal to the task either of reassuring her or of finding a shelter for her she got terribly angry with him had a violent crisis of somnambulism during which she heard the thunderclap fainted and then made a scene with her lover 
that again is quite simple and conformable to the rule now a third story one day again at the period of her menstrual discharge she stole a revolver placed herself in ambuscade on the roadside and saw a carriage pass by in which was her lover with her rival she shot at them and fell back in a crisis of delirium other adventures happened to her the result of which was the same after all these accidents she was admitted into the hospital and nearly every day on the slightest occasion she falls into crises of delirium these crises begin at hazard by the recital or by the acting as you please of one of her adventures she has a haggard look trembles and puts her hands before her face with an expression of violent terror she shuts her eyes as if before flashes of lightning and acts the scene of the storm then suddenly without awakening her face takes on another expression she seems to be looking for keys breaks open drawers reads letters utters shrieks of fury lastly her hands grasp an imaginary revolver she looks out at the window with an infuriated air pulls the trigger and falls back in a fainting fit these three scenes and others quite like them begin over and over again indefinitely succeeding one another but not always in the same order they may last for hours together that is again a somnambulic state the mind is likewise concentrated on one idea and remains closed to external things but the ideas are manifold and bring on different comedies during which the perceptions and memories are not the same the unity of the somnambulism is broken there is something foreign to the idea itself that has unified those three or four ideas and has gathered them into one crisis the same character may be observed though with somewhat greater complication in another form of polyidaic somnambulism i take as a starting point the rather simple observation of a young girl twenty years old Ra. this young girl as it appears found a situation at a tavern keeper's the man was very brutal and beat and abused her in every way she got to look upon him with abhorrence and fell into crises of delirium during which she acted over again the scenes she had lived through in the tavern the principal one was a scene of rape she shrieked and resisted the brutal fellow that is a monoidaic somnambulism but as she runs about the room she finds a broom immediately she takes it and keeping on her face the same look of terror she begins to sweep the room without seeming to think in the least of the scene of the rape another time it appears she found a wheelbarrow and rolled it about the yard for hours it is clear that the act of rolling the wheelbarrow is not connected with the thought of the rape this is as you see a second form of polyidaic somnambulism in which the ideas are not modified by the memory of previous somnambulisms but by the impression determined by outward objects which the subject still perceives i could show you as a third form somnambulisms in which the change of ideas seems to take place more easily still simply through an association of ideas read again the amusing observation about the somnambulist of menet already described in eighteen seventy four that man had a very varied somnambulism during which in turn he acted scenes of military life then played music or fancied himself a servant according to the impressions he received one idea awakened by an association develops into a comedy it awakens another then a third and so on indefinitely somnambulisms are thus very complicated sometimes and apparently filled with a great many different ideas but we must then ask ourselves what makes the unity of these somnambulisms can we still apply here the general conception which was simple in the cases of monoidaic somnambulism we summed up those states in a few words there is a simple idea a system of images which is separated from the totality of consciousness and has an independent development it brings about two things 
a blank in the general consciousness which is represented by an amnesia and an exaggerated and independent development of the emancipated idea now we find nothing of the kind here we do not find one distinct idea one precise system that has emancipated itself from consciousness a great many different ideas seem to characterize the somnambulism i think for my part that the difficulty lies on the surface and that at the bottom the phenomena remain the same the psychological systems that exist in our consciousness are very numerous and they do not all present themselves in the same form no doubt one of the simplest systems is the idea relative to an event the idea of one's mother's death is a well-defined system which can be suppressed clearly or can develop separately but there are other vaguer systems a great number of which we shall have to study i only point out to you for the present the system of thoughts and of tendencies that is called a feeling or an emotion it is not so clear as an idea but nevertheless it exists with some unity the feeling that arises from the fear of an ignominious charge the feeling of curiosity for distant countries the feeling of love and jealousy towards a lover the feeling of bondage to a hated master these are systems of thoughts that it is not always easy to express in words that are not ideas properly so called that may on the contrary enclose very many different ideas but that nevertheless possess a mental unity well in polyideic somnambulisms and in fugues it is upon this more serious feeling that the dissociation has borne it is a feeling in its entirety a more or less precise feeling that has separated from general consciousness and that develops in an independent way giving birth to these odd deliriums a certain complexity differentiates these phenomena from somnambulism but we apply to them the same general law and the same interpretation end of section three